All right, Haggai 1, verse 2 through 9 is our scripture for today. Uh, and uh, I know it's one of those smaller books. It's easy, hard to find, but towards the back end of our Old Testament, Haggai 1, 2 through 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have been harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You put on clothes but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, be- declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Isn't Bubba cute? He, I mean, as far as sermon illustrations go, this is like a win, I think. Um, At least in the first service, because he's nocturnal, but he was kind of like still awake in the first service. And so for the first service, he ran in his hamster wheel. I was like, extra kibble for you, you know? Um, But he's, you'll have to imagine it, right? Because right now he's asleep. But he was running, running fast. Y'all have all seen hamsters running wheels, right? Okay. Have you? Are we awake? Okay, good. Okay. Um, The reason we have Bubba today is because of it speaks so clearly, Bubba, of what the prophet Haggai is warning the people in Ezra's time about. If you notice that scripture, in the scripture it says, look at what has happened to you. And Haggai doesn't say you're lazy and you're not putting in the effort. He says you're working harder than ever. You are planting much. You are building up your paneled homes, and yet you're harvesting little. And what you do have, it's blown away. And you're working as hard as you ever have, and you're sticking your money in your pockets to save, but it's like they have holes and you're losing it. So what he's talking about, Haggai, to his people is, you are running really, 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 really fast and getting nowhere. Now, this generation that he's talking to is that didn't start out like that. They didn't start out in a hamster wheel in a cage going nowhere. They started out with passion and with purpose and with drive. This is the generation that's inspired by Daniel, um, the generation that when they see Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they are the ones that say, we want to live life like that. Like if it comes between saving our own lives and facing a den of lions, for the sake of the Lord, we're going to the lions because God can get us through. The the same people who when there's a golden statue, these men and women refuse to bow. And so the generation that follows them, which is the generation of Ezra and Haggai, says, by golly, we could live lives of purpose and passion too. We could sacrifice to God because every time you sacrifice, we see in other people's lives, it pays out. And so what happens is in their generation, Cyrus, who's now the king of the area that was Babylon, he's a Persian, he's conquered the Babylonians, and he says to the Jewish people, he writes an edict, becomes law. 
if you'd like to go back home to Jerusalem and rebuild it, because Babylon, remember, leveled it, you can. Now, all the people know what this means. This means the prophecies are coming true. Because Isaiah, big book, you can't miss it, as opposed to Haggai, one page. Isaiah had said the exile would last 70 years. So when 538 B.C. rolls around and the people can count back and say 70 years ago our ancestors went into captivity in Babylon and now the king of Persia is saying you can be free to go home and rebuild, this is the will of God. So 40,000 people leave the area of Persia, Babylon, and travel south a journey of four months back to a home they've never seen before. It's a place their grandparents and parents maybe told them about. They're going back to become the people of God again, to take their nation back. Now, is this going to be easy? Is this something that if you're a cream puff, you sign up for? No, cream puffs stay in Babylon, right? These are go-getting people. Um, They leave everything that they've established in Babylon, which is in the north, and they go south back to the place God had given them to clear away the burned rocks, to pull out the weeds, to get the tree out of the middle of the house because after 70 years there's a tree there, to replant these fields that have lain barren and and to reclaim the land from the squatters and to push back the enemies. And so the first thing that they do when these 40,000 get back to Jerusalem is they go back to their homes or their grandparents' homes, and they start to build them up so they can have a roof over their head. And then the fall of that year, the Bible tells us in Ezra that they went back to Jerusalem with a unified purpose. That's what the Bible says, unified purpose. So imagine all of us here being like, this is what we're going to do, only 40,000. And what they were going to do is rebuild the house of God. It had been burned to the ground, looted and pillaged, and they had a few of the precious articles from their old temple, a few of the ways that they worshipped. I mean, imagine if we escaped and all we had was our cross, maybe the bowl. We're going to build the place back so that we can worship here again. But it's a lot of work. It's a lot of physical work. They're not afraid. They strap on their tool belts. They build the altar, which was huge. This is our altar. It's a shadow of the old altar where animal sacrifices were, where grain offerings were made. The old altar had steps you'd walk up to, to walk up to it, to offer all the offerings of the whole community of God. One other thing you need to know is that they didn't have little churches everywhere like we do. Like We believe you can worship here, or you could go to PRF, or you could go to Lake Travis. You know, I mean, we're all the family of God, and we're all legitimately worshiping God because of something that happens in the rest of the story. But at this time, there's one place and one house for God, and that's in Jerusalem. So for 70 years, the people have been unable to fully worship God, unable to bring an offering, right, to make a sacrifice to God. They prayed, they held on, they were faithful, but now they can rebuild. So what happens as they get to work on the altar, that has to come first, right? Before there's a roof, they're going to put the altar so that they can sacrifice. What happens as soon as they start to rebuild is the same same thing that happens in every single one of our lives as soon as we start to try to do something good for God. The darkness rises up to convince us not to do it. 
Now, whether that's a direct attack or whether that's doubts or there's just every single difficulty. I mean, y'all, I know if I'm about to make an amazing announcement in church, right? Like the week before we were going to announce, we've got a million dollars, okay? That was the worst week of the entire 2014. Just things were going wrong and difficulties and issues. I was just, every time I'd say, well, this is it. This was what's going to happen because this is going to be such a good week. Then another thing would happen. Whenever something good is about to happen, evil's going to stop it. In your life, I can tell you stories after stories of people who are about to go on a walk to Emmaus or about to go on a retreat, or about to give their time and service somehow, and all of a sudden they're calling me on the phone, I don't know that I can go. I'm like, well, what's going on? Well, I just, this, the cat is sick, or this is, I mean, legitimate things. I'm like, look, you got to muscle through, because this is a good thing. Or you're about to volunteer for children's church, right? You're like, I'm going to do it, right? And then you see a kid like, running through the church, and you're like, okay, never mind, right? Every time you're about to do a good thing, you're going to start praying, you're going to start doing anything, evil's going to rise up and give you 500 reasons not to do it. Now, was evil rising up to stop the people from building their own homes? Heck no. I mean, the darkness is fine if you want to work on your own hamster cage. It'll let you do that all day long. But the moment you start, the moment the people join with the unified purpose and say, we're going to rebuild God's house, we're restoring our core, we will be God's people with a temple and an altar, the minute they do that, the darkness is like, whoa. And all the stops come out. They have people from the surrounding nations who are fine with rebuilding their homes who now that the altar is going up, try to actually infiltrate the builders to sabotage the work. There's people who are giving bribes to the officials so that the building will stop. There's governors that are writing letters, governors who were fine if the people work on their own homes. But once the temple starts going up, the governors are writing to the king, oh my gosh, this is going to destroy the region. Instability, chaos, disorder, you have to put a stop to it. Letters flying all around. So as the people are doing this work of God, it says they're afraid. It says they, they are discouraged, but it also says they keep going. Imagine we're going to get to this in Nehemiah, trying to build up God's house, and there's a sword right there. Because you never know when you're going to be attacked just for building up the house of God. This is the situation they're in. And so it takes them, they don't give up, it takes them six years, and finally they have the altar, and they have a foundation. But that's it, because there's been so much opposition. Now, Solomon built the first temple in seven years. In six years, they've got the foundation and the altar. And they're tired. They're worn out. It's so hard. Really, it's hard building God's house. And so they just take a break. They just go back to their own houses and they focus on what they can do without encountering opposition. They plant their crops. They work really hard. These are hardworking, passionate people. And they think, we're going to get back to that next year. 
And the next year comes, and oh, there's a lot of work to be done. We're going to get back to that next year. And so by the time the prophet Haggai speaks to the people, 10 years have passed since they laid down their tools. Weeds are growing in the foundation of God's temple. They have completely forgotten. They didn't mean to. They just did. And so Haggai says to them, look what has happened to you. It's not a problem of effort. You're running harder than you ever have in your life. But you have nothing to show for it. So he says, stop running on the wheel. Stop building your own house first. And first build God's house. And then all the rest of your life will fall into place. It's not that planting crops or building homes or your families are bad. It's just that it gets you spinning on a wheel when those become your priorities above God. And so all that they have to do, the people, is get off the wheel by putting God first, by going back to build the temple. And the amazing thing about this generation is, whereas the prophecies of the past have fallen on deaf ears, this generation goes, oh, well, this is not the kind of cage I want to live in. And God is telling us how to make it right. And so they strap on their tool belts after 16 years, right? Six years to build the first part, 10 to just do nothing. They strap on their tool belts. They get to work. They're still afraid. The opposition arises again. Same thing. Only this time when the governor writes a nasty letter, the king writes back and says, well, I've looked this up in the history books. And what, this, what the original king said was, we are supposed to support this work and fund it. So the governor, who had been against the people of God and had shut them down for almost two decades, has to take out of his own pockets to fund the rebuilding of the temple. And he has to post the guards to make sure nobody interferes with it. Boom, right? That's awesome. And what did, what did it happen from? It happened when the people said, even though... We are afraid, even though there's a million things for us to do at home, we're going to go build your house, God. We'll put you first. And will you take care of the rest? And God did. Now, I love stories like David with Goliath, right? I love Daniel and the lion's den. Because it speaks to me about the moments and the one decision that can change your life. But I love Haggai and Ezra too. Because this is what we deal with every day. And I know I'm not alone. Don't you have days, maybe even this week, where you feel, I am running the hardest I've ever run. I am giving 100% to what I'm doing. And then you get home and you're like, but what, what did I do today? I've gone home and I flop on the couch and Kevin's like, hard day. I'm like, whew, that was exhausting. You know, it was the worst. He, and the kids would be like, what'd you do today, mommy? I'm like, I am so busy today. What'd you do? Um, I answered emails and I went to meetings and I took phone calls. What'd you do, though? What'd you get done? Did you help somebody, mommy? I'm like, oh, gosh. If that happens to me, then I know it happens to you. 
I know we can be working as hard as we can and putting all of our earnings into holy pockets. Not holy, holy. I know we can be exerting a ton of energy and getting nowhere. But I know the solution. The solution is simple to say, but it takes dedication to do. The solution is to put God first. Put God first. That's the solution. Effort is good. God doesn't want us living in homes that have roofs, uh, that have holes in the roofs, right? Building your own home is good as long as first we're about building God's house. First. Then the rest of it falls into place. And so you say, well, how do I do this? Well, here's how you do it. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to love it. You set your alarm clock to wake you up 15 minutes earlier. And you pray. At the beginning of every day of your life, you pray. You talk to God so that God can get you off the hamster wheel and get you into the open road of his purpose. You just, 15 minutes, you just talk to God. You read the scripture to direct your life. 15 minutes, you tell God, you are more important to me than my lovely bed. And I will leave it for you, right? You, you make the sacrifices. You strap on the tool belt. When you hear the need and God tugs at your heart, as he does, you say, okay, I'm scared, but I'm going to go. I'm going to give. I'm going to do. Um, you don't let that screaming kid scare you off of teaching. You don't let unknowing of the PowerPoint, right, keep you from pushing a button if God is calling you to that or ushering, or helping at Helping Hand Crisis Ministry. You say, I will give an hour of my life. I will sacrifice that so that I could build something that lasts. And you know what happens? I mean, I, we talk about all these volunteer opportunities. Yes, the kids need a teacher. It's true. But I need you to teach because it changes you. I need you to serve as an usher because it changes you. I need to, you to give an hour beyond yourself at helping hands. Yes, because it will help the people who come, but because it changes you. It gets all of us off the wheel and into the open road of God's love. And I'll, I'll tell you all that the more you do this, maybe you're good at giving an hour, give two. The more you do this, the more the blessing of God will be apparent in your life and the rest of it will fall into place. There's several people in our congregation who are giving up weeks of vacation. Now, when you only have two or three weeks of vacation a year, to give up a week of it to go lead a youth mission trip or to go rebuild homes in West Texas or to go down to work in the orphanage in Guatemala, that's a huge sacrifice. But every single one of those people, and you or some of them, I'm looking at your faces, nobody ever says, well, that was the worst week of my life. To a person, you all tell me, that was the greatest week out of my whole year. The week I spent building God's house. The week I spent working with kids 
The week I spent rebuilding homes, that's the best week of my year. So to break out of the hamster ball, just put God first. Just choose not to build your own house first, but to work on things that will build the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, we admit that we all get stuck sometimes spinning in circles. Um, I do as well as everybody else. And so thank you for the generation of Ezra um, who were hard workers, motivated, and just got lost and then had the courage to turn back to you. And thank you for the story of how you provided for them as they did. Help us, Lord, to put you first before any of the other things that are yelling for our attention May we say to you, we are yours. And may we allow your will to guide and direct our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.